Awesome. Well, again, good morning. Great to see you guys here. Welcome online. Also, if you're new to Northland, this is a cool time to be getting involved because we're embarking on a a new chapter, a new season. Northland's been around with an amazing ministry for over four decades. What an awesome legacy that is. We're building on that foundation with this next season under the guidance of a new vision statement. And here it is, engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. And the exciting thing about that vision is how closely uh, connected to the words even of Jesus it is. And what we're doing last month, this month, we're in this series looking at the biblical foundation. What's the biblical basis for that vision? But the words of Jesus that I'm referring to are in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And this is his most, one of his most clear uh, statements about why he came. He didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to start a holiday. He didn't come to give us something to do on, on Sundays. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So the thief direct reference to the enemy, Satan, who in the garden, right at the beginning, challenged what God said to Adam and Eve and saying, listen, he said, you follow me, follow my instructions, you will live, and if not, you shall surely die. And Satan came along and said, you shall not surely die. God's lying. They rebelled. They said, you know what? We know best. What will fulfill us as human beings and complete us? And they rebelled. Did they die? They did. Their hearts kept beating. Their lungs kept breathing but they died. In John's gospel, in his three letters, the word life comes up about 71 times. Only about 15 are referring to heart beating, lung breathing, life. The rest are referring to this life of the gospel, this restorative call that Jesus makes available to us, puts on us and beckons us with. He says, come alive. Now, we are dead in our transgressions and sins, the scriptures say. We're still in the image of God, but we're dead, dead men and women walking. And even in our spiritual deadness, we're capable of great love and great beauty and tenderness and creativity. The list goes on and on, but it's muted, it's truncated. And Jesus says, I've come that you might be fully alive. Instead of black and white, back to color, so to speak. And granted, there are plenty of people that have come to life in Christ, they've trusted Christ, and they've come alive, but they are, they're still not experiencing that life. And you compare their life with some people that are not believers and they haven't been made alive, and you start saying, wow, it looks like those people are engaging with God's gift of life more than these people are. Uh, and uh, by way of appearance, that's true, but today might be an opportunity if you are a follower of Jesus, but have, have grown stale in your belief. It's going to be an opportunity to, to recommit and to renew that belief. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, it's going to be an opportunity to come alive, to respond to one of the most famous verses of Scripture that there are, John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We've been talking during this series that eternal life is not a synonym for heaven. We'll experience eternal life in a complete, perfect, undiluted way in heaven, but eternal life begins now, the moment that we trust Christ. It's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 5, verse 24. He said, very truly, I want to say something to you. And when he uses that kind of language, he's underscoring it. Whoever hears my word and believes him, who sent me, 
has, not will have, has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. At that moment, I've crossed from this realm of death into this realm of life. Because that phrase, eternal life, it's not just quantitative about how long, but it's qualitative about how deeply I'm engaging with this gift of existence that God has called into being in the form of me. And Jesus said, you're dead, I want to make you alive. And the moment that you believe, you're translated from that realm of death to the realm of life and then spending the rest of our journeys on this planet unpacking that. Now, there's a key word that keeps popping up, you know, popping up and you've seen it already a couple of times. It's the word believe. Whoever believes. Well, what's that? A lot of people think, I'm not a believe kind of guy. I'm, I'm not a person of faith. I, I, I got to have every, I don't believe in stuff I can't see. I don't believe, I, I, I don't trust anybody. I've got to be in charge. We've got all these notions. A couple of years ago, I was on a flight out of Denver. And I used to fly a lot more and I'd get bumped up to first class a, a lot. And I got bumped up to first class and I'm sitting next to this business guy. We strike up a conversation and, and fairly soon he pops the question. Did, he didn't ask me to marry him, that's not what I mean. He, he pops the question that comes up on flights. You guys, if, you're, if you travel some, you know what the question is. So what do you do? And it's not just on flights, it's in social settings. So what do you do for a living? And this is always the, the fun is start, about to begin because I say I'm a pastor. And so every, about every time I do that, you can see this look of, of, of masked horror uh, that they're looking and they're calculating, all right, how many thousands of, of, of air travelers are there today in the United States of America? And I got seated next to a preacher. What are the odds? So, but after that, then they be, attempt to recover, and more than half the time, at least, they usually try to connect me with some relative of theirs. And I don't know why people do it, but they, try, they, they point out somebody that's in their family system who's a, a minister, and, you know, it, oh yeah, my wife's cousin's aunt's brother's uh, son's wife's uncle is a minister. Fantastic. Maybe we're related. I, I don't know. I don't know why they say that. So, but usually that's about the time they want to change the subject. This guy didn't. He dove right in into how ridiculous he feels that it is. He was doing it politely, but uh, how ridiculous it is for people to, to believe and, and, and stuff they can't see and uh, to believe in a God they can't see and this whole gospel and Christianity. He went on and on. I mean, he was uh, he was sitting in an airline seat, but he got on a soapbox about how faith is uh, a ridiculous thing, this blind leap that, that Christianity asks people to take. And after a while, uh, I mean, he wasn't slowing down and just, just undermining, saying, you know, everybody's an idiot who trusts in something that they can't see, can't fully explain, explain God and so forth. So finally, and I'm not a confrontational uh, person, but especially in those in situations, because usually they've had, you know, there's the stereotype of people screaming God at somebody else, and I, I don't, I don't want to go down that path. But I, I, I couldn't take it any longer, so I gently uh, and kindly said, hey, do you, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, no. He said, um, I said, could you, could you explain to me the law of aerodynamics? He, he said, what? I said, 
the law of aerodynamics. Can you, can you explain that to me? He said, what are, you, what are you talking about? What does that have to, to do with you being a pastor? I said, well, it's related to what you're talking about, this whole notion of faith. You know, the law of aerodynamics, that, that it's that law that enables us to overcome gravity and to get a tube the size of an airplane weighing thousands of pounds up into the air. You and I right now are 30,000 feet up in the air. And we're both exercising faith. You're a person of faith, so am I. We're trusting this plane, we're trusting this airline, we're trusting this pilot. And he was looking at me and the, the flight attendant came up right at that moment, asked him for a drink order or whatever. And uh, so he ordered his drink and I thought, okay, we're, he's gonna turn back around, we're gonna pick, pick this conversation up. Uh, he turned back to me right after that and said, so are you a Broncos fan? <laughs> I thought we'd come back to it. We never did. It was just one of those uh, too uncomfortable. I gave him a card and said, you ever want to talk about aerodynamics or the gospel? I'd, I'd love to talk about it. it but the, the point was that we are all men and women of belief, of faith. We all exhibit trust on a daily basis. It could be a, a minor thing like flipping a light switch over on the wall and trusting that when I do that, it will illuminate the room to major things like getting on a plane. And it's this word believe that I've got to grapple with if I'm going to grapple with the life of the gospel. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. At the end of John's gospel, uh, there's uh, the passage that we've been looking at several times in verse 31 is in this, this, this passage, but I want to read the context now. And it's, it's about a guy is, uh, that's been labeled in Christianity. His name's Thomas. You guys know Thomas, one of the disciples? Thomas is his last name, right? What's his first name? Doubting. Hey, Doubting, Thomas. It's not in the text. He's never called doubting not. We just have labeled him that over time, thinking that he, it was horrible what, what he was doing. Uh, not so much. He was actually doing something that all of us would have been doing in that moment. So here's the context. Jesus is, ra- is risen from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples. This is part of the evidence of Christianity, the hinge pen. Of, of, of Christianity is Christ's resurrection, his historical, bodily, literal resurrection from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're wasting our time. Our faith is futile, we're told. But if he did, it makes all the difference. And Jesus appeared to his disciples. He appeared to over, we're told, 500 people at one time. And, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And when he wrote that, many of those people would have still been living. They could have refuted that. Well, Jesus appeared to the disciples first after he appeared to the women at the tomb, and Thomas wasn't with them. All right, let's pick up the action. Now, Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, 
you miserable excuse for a disciple. (laughs) No. He gives them an invitation. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. By the way, that's referring to you and me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, and here's the verse, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says, I've written these that you may, first of all, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, come to faith in Christ, in other words, but also that you might live, that you might be a follower of Christ. Believing is necessary for becoming a a follower of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. It's both and. And we spent some time unpacking verse 31, saying it's really two parts. Part A, we're calling, we've been calling orthodoxy. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's that, that right understanding of who Jesus is and, 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 and engaging with who he claimed to be validated by the resurrection. A lot of people think that's all there is to Christianity is just this, quote, right belief system, this right doctrine. No, no, no. That believing continues on a second result of believing is vibrancy. That by believing you may have life in his name. We've talked a lot about, especially an exciting thing these days is younger folks, which is why I'm so excited about our young people. And it was saying, you know what? We really want to see the vibrancy. And they come to us and it makes us uncomfortable saying, hey, your, your orthodoxy, I know you think is important and we'll embrace it, but make, make sure you let us see your vibrancy too. In fact, true orthodoxy will lead to vibrancy. But that orthodoxy, that first part is more like the doorway, that you may come through the doorway, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and the second part is dan- the dance of the gospel. There's the doorway of the gospel, coming to faith in Christ, and the dance of the gospel. Both are dependent upon and hinge on believing. So this whole notion of believing, I better understand. So let's unpack it a bit. And I want to use a, a chair. You're exhibiting faith right now. You're believing in a chair because you're sitting in it. Those of you who are online, you're probably sitting right now. And if you are, you're, you're trusting that chair. Here's what goes on every time we sit in a chair. It's kind of a three steps, three ingredients. First, and the first one is subconscious most of the time. We appraise whether it's sturdy enough, whether it'll hold us. And most places we are, well-constructed building, home, and so forth, of, of course, we're, it, it'll hold us. But there, every now and then, you, you see a chair and you're, I don't know. That, and so you inspect it a little bit more. You're basically doing an appraisal of is it, is it trustworthy? Is it credible? Is it well-constructed? Is it strong enough? That's, that's first ingredient. So basically with our mind, we're saying, hey, I think, yeah, that's strong enough. Now, again, it's subconscious most of the time, but we nevertheless do it. Second thing that we do is we evaluate, do I need to sit in that chair? 
Is there a social setting where I'm expected to sit? Or probably that'll help us more understand this, this illustration is, am I tired? Am I tired enough to sit down in that chair? So I'm looking at a chair with my mind, I'm evaluating, okay, is it strong enough? But with my heart, I'm evaluating, okay, yeah, it's relevant to my need right now. And my need is to sit down. But I'm still not exhibiting complete belief, trust, or faith in this chair. What needs to happen for that process to be completed? Huh? I need to sit. With my will, I make a decision to sit. Right now, I'm trusting, I'm believing in this chair. From a, in the biblical uh, use of the word belief, I, I'm believing in this chair. Now, we're calling this today a uh, life-giving belief. And uh, historically, like the reformers would refer to saving faith. So, similar statement. But I want to clarify something. My, my faith does not save me. My belief does not give me life. Right, right now, what's holding me up? My belief in this chair or the chair? Yeah, my belief is not holding me up right now. It's connecting me with what is holding me up. But you'll hear people say, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe, just so long as you believe it. Let me tell you something, if this chair is not strong enough to hold me up, I don't care how strongly I'm believing in it. It will not hold me up. What's most important, first of all, in, in, in this whole notion of belief and faith is the object of my faith. Can it deliver on what I'm believing it for? Now, does the, does the amount of, of belief that I have make a difference in how much I enjoy this chair, experience what this chair can offer? There are different amounts of faith and belief that can be exhibited in a chair. Yeah. I mean, I'm believing in this chair right now. And I'm believing in this chair right now. But it's kind of two levels of belief. This one is not quite as confident as this one. Now, back in the 16th century, the reformers were trying to establish what does saving faith look like? What I would refer to as saving faith or life-giving belief. They would talk about a presumptuous faith, a faith that was, that was false. People that would maybe just come to church, but they, they weren't really engaging with the gospel. We're talking about engaging people to be fully alive in, in Jesus. And so they, they talked about those same three ingredients I just mentioned. And I don't know, my guess is today you probably haven't spoken that much Latin yet. And I know you're ready to, so let's give it a try. There are three Latin words that the reformers use. They referred to notitia, ascensus, and fiducia, all three of which are necessary for saving faith. Notitia is noticing the object of your faith. It's, it's appraising it and with your mind and, 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 and paying attention to it. The ascensus is assenting to, you know, what, what I see, I'm assenting. I'm saying that's relevant to my need. And then the fiducia, that's really the only word most of us are familiar with. Fiduciary means trust, confidence. The fiduciary is the actual sitting in that chair. 
So what it looks like to engage with the gospel, to believe in Jesus. And you can see this chair as Jesus, this chair as the gospel, to believe in the gospel, to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, to come to faith, to be converted, to become a follower of His, as well as continuing to believe Him on a daily basis will involve always just a cyclical engagement with those three ingredients all the time. It's not just one time through. When I trusted Christ many years ago, I, it, was, it was more than this, I wasn't, too, but, but it surely wasn't this. It was kind of more like this. What does it look like to grow in my relationship with Christ? Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing Him. Eternal life is, the, and the more I know Him, the more I trust Him and trust what He wants to do in my life. And what my growth in Christ looks like is my faith will increase and I, I start trusting Him more and more. Now. But it's not just a one-way deal. There are times that I come back out to the edge. I'll get, I, I'll, I'll have doubts. You have doubts. Things happen in our lives. Now, to keep the uh, illustration going, I probably should have a, a, a seatbelt up here because he, he locks us in. Once you trust in him, and I, he says, once you're in my hand, nobody's going to take you out. So I, I'm, not, I'm never going to get out of this chair. I'm not going to lose my salvation. But my whole life, I'm going uh, from here to here and somewhere in between. And this week would be an example for me of moving back to the same. You have, you have doubts? Doubts, of course. Some t- they're, they're momentary, but different things happen. Uh, uh, this week, a, f- a friend of ours... Uh, uh, they, they have three boys that are similar to our boys' ages. They're oldest, that are similar to Andrew, that some of you got to know, who helped me with the, the message on Labor Day weekend. Uh, a friend of his, his name's, his name's Garrett, just completed medical school in Argentina and was about to start a residency and, uh, here in the States, but was helping the hospital down there out with some surgeries and some minor surgeries and procedures. And, uh, had a, an apartment room in the hospital where a lot of the medical students were staying, and they found him dead from cardiac arrest at 27 years old. When I hear news like that, I don't remain, I don't shrug my shoulders. I say, God, really? And, and that statement is, is like moving from here to here a little bit. But here's what I do is I, I've grown enough my walk with him that I evaluate and it starts with the resurrection. And I actually just about every day, I appraise the resurrection. I've gone through it enough and it's that question, Jesus, are you risen or not? Is Jesus risen from the dead or not? And if he is, I can trust him even in the midst of all the questions that are unanswered. If he's not risen, I'm wasting my time. And when I got that phone call and called that, that mom and that dad, friends of ours, and wept with them, in the back of my mind, I'm appraising, Jesus, are you really risen? You see, the appraisal, the agreement, the engagement, is cyclical. It's happening even while I'm a follower of Christ. That's why books on apologetics, 
which are the evidence for Christianity. We have some in our bookstore. They're not just for people that are unbelievers. They're for people that are followers of Jesus because the more confident I can become in the gospel, the more I can trust him for the life he wants to lavish on me. So let's look at those one at a time just a little bit more. Appraisal. And let me give you an, a, a, the, the background of what's, where we're headed with this. At the end of our time this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Two different types of prayer. One is for those of you who are not yet a follower of Jesus, and it's time, and you know it. It's time to trust Him. Could be that everybody in your circle knows you're not yet a follower of Christ, or it could be there are people that think you are because you've been coming to church for a while, and you know you're not. I'm going to give you an opportunity to believe and come to faith for the first time. There are others of you who've trusted Christ long ago, or maybe weeks ago, but, but you've, you're kind of right here, and you need to engage once again with this all-in, with this vision, and say, you know what, I want to engage myself as well as the people around me to be fully alive, and that requires my renewal of belief, a recommitment, rededication of my belief. So that's where we're headed. Here are the three ingredients I want you to have in mind as we're going through that prayer. First, appraisal. Is Jesus credible? This is something we do with our mind, and it's a challenge in our anti-intellectual age that's dominated by sound bites and, and, and video addiction. We don't want to delve into the substance of the gospel. Go back to the text just for a minute. Look in John 20. Look at what Jesus says to Thomas. Uh, then he said to Thomas, remember, he didn't say, you ridiculous excuse for a disciple. He said, Thomas, come appraise. Go ahead, poke around, literally. Ask the questions, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. John chapter 14, verse 11, Jesus says this, he says, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Do you see what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's inviting us to appraise the evidence. Is he credible or not? Paul, in, in Acts chapter 17, he was engaging with some folks in Berea, and I want you to see they were appraisers, and he praised them for it. He says, as soon as it was night, the brothers, this is verse 10 of Acts 17, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And many of the Jews believed, as also did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Is it true? So when I get news like I did this week, and I say, and it was just a moment, but I said, Father, is the gospel true? He doesn't say, oh, Matt, don't be ridiculous. He says, let's review. And I'm referring to something that took me maybe 15 seconds. Is he risen or not? Is Jesus credible or not? If you're not a follower of Christ, I would encourage you examine, dig in. Jesus can handle the questions. All of them? You know what? 
faith is more than knowledge, but it's not other than knowledge. And it's not exhaustive knowledge. I don't know, right now, I do not know the molecular structure of this chair. But I know enough about it to sit down. I'm not going to get all my questions answered this side of the new heaven, the new earth, but I got enough. And bottom line, it deals with the person and work of Christ. C.S. Lewis, the most famous apologist probably of the 20, 20th century, Chronicles of Narnia, others, Mere Christianity was probably one of his most famous works where he delves into appraisal. Is Christianity true or not? And in that, he says, a lot of people say Jesus is just a good man. He said Jesus doesn't give us that option. He's either, it's his famous, fam- and you can remember him as three L's. He's liar, he's lunatic, or he's Lord. He says there are only three options. Jesus was lying, and everything he said, he knew he was misleading. He was a charlatan. Or he was a lunatic. He was, self, he was deceived, self-deceived. He said on the level of a poached egg, actually. He said, or he was Lord. So he's one of those three. You can't insert in there the option of him being a good man because Jesus did not give us that option. Is he credible? And I don't need all of the info, but I need enough. And the Holy Spirit is, is what illuminates our hearts as, as we delve into it. But just saying, you know, Jesus is credible is not life-giving belief. Just part of it. There's a second ingredient. It's not just appraisal, but it's agreement. Agreement regarding the relevance of the gospel to my need. This is a hard issue. There's a, I resonate with, you know what, the gospel is for me. It's not just something out there. A lot of people in religious circles, they think faith is just biblical knowledge. James talks about it. He says, you say that God is one, you do well. In other words, you've you've got some good theological understanding, you do well. The demons understand that also. You You can teach graduate level theology and Bible and still not be a follower of Jesus. Because it's not just the appraisal that's necessary, the agreement. Uh, With the appraisal, I'm focusing on the credibility of Jesus. With agreement, I'm focusing on the relevance of Jesus to my need. The first one I process basic, primarily on an intellectual level. The second I process on a heart level. Uh, The Philippian jailer who came to Christ, Acts chapter 16, verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. He's filled with joy. Alistair McGrath, a, a theologian and philosophy, a just brilliant a, apologist out of Oxford in, in England, said this, faith cannot be equated with knowing. It is not something cold and cerebral, enlightening the mind while leaving the heart untouched. And that Philippian jailer, he got it. He understood it. There was a joy about him. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of, of your soul. So what brings that joy, that, that resonance? You guys remember us talking about longings? 
in the series, just lie to me right now or else it's going to discourage me greatly because we spent like three weeks talking about longings. Okay. We talked about engaging with a superficial engagement with my longings will lead to a superficial engagement with the gospel. If I go deep with my longings, but I also need to go deep with the gospel, all of a sudden the relevance of the gospel takes, takes root. Remember that list we had? Take a look at it again. Think our longings for things like significance and intimacy and love and meaning, our, our hunger for wholeness and security and purpose and acceptance and goodness, truth, beauty and shalom and connection with others, a, a yearning to be involved with the greater story, yearning to be men and women of destiny, uh, for belonging, for joy, for triumph, for resolution and justice, home. The list goes on and on. When I start engaging with the gospel, I start saying, is the gospel credible? And then I start saying, does it connect with this thirst, these longings? Uh, another analogy could be the water that Jesus is going through with the woman at the well saying, here's my water. And she's got to say, am I thirsty for that water? We're saying, uh, here's the gospel. Is it relevant to what I'm yearning for? That's where the joy comes from. And it's not a one-time thing. For some people, they're more emotional than others. But bottom line, it's just, yeah, I think Jesus is pretty cool. It's, he is who he is. And what he came to do is exactly what I'm needing. I I want to come alive. But I still, at that point, have not engaged in life-giving belief. You already addressed it earlier. That doesn't happen until that third ingredient There's that notitia and that ascensus, but the fiducia has to happen. There's that agreement regarding the credibility of Jesus, relevant to my need, assent assent agreement to that. So there's that appraisal and then there's that agreement and the belief journey though is completed with active dependence. It's not just about the credibility of Jesus and the relevance of Jesus, it's about submission to Jesus. And for some of you, when you came to Christ, it looked like this, man, you were all, I mean, it was just as clear as others are saying, you know what, I I think, uh, yeah, I'm gonna trust him, but there's a lot more I need to understand. All of that is biblical saving faith. It's all life-giving belief, just at various levels. The amount of our faith doesn't determine whether we are saved or not, whether or not we've been made alive, come alive. The amount of our faith has a lot to do with whether we're experiencing that life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. And why is that? Well, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So they had the message, hey, Jesus is credible, but it was no valuable to them because they didn't connect that Jesus is credible with their need and they didn't trust him. Now you go a little bit further in Hebrews and you come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe. Now get this, remember our three ingredients. Yes? Okay. Appraisal, agreement, active dependence. Here we go. See if they're present here. Must first believe that he exists, appraisal, and that he rewards those. That's, a great, that's regarding his relevance. Man, he, he rewards those who earnestly, actively seek him. 
Jesus, I got some questions. He said, ask away. A lot of times we're saying, you're not addressing my questions. And the reason for that is not he's not addressing the questions. It's because we don't want to ultimately submit to him. Biblical belief will lead to biblical obedience, action, trusting him on a daily basis. This happened when I came to Jesus, but it happens every day of my life. I'm digging into the Word of God. I'm engaging in community. We're talking about the credibility of Jesus, and there's sometimes I might be wavering in my doubt, and you'll speak something into my journey that reminds me of what I know to be true, and I'll see the relevance of that to my need. And that will take me authentically engaging with who I am as a human being and saying, but this, I do have a hunger for significance. I do have a yearning for love. And I've been searching for love, as the song says, in all the wrong places. And then it will manifest itself in active dependence, submitting to Him and trusting Him. Trusting Him in a way that it changes the way that I turn off my alarm in the morning. You're saying, what? Well, my alarm sounds in the morning and I turn it off. Because of my, my, my life-giving belief, I approach the day differently. In terms of why I'm here, what I'm doing when I'm here, who God is, who I am, where I'm headed. What are my relationships supposed to look like? What's my work supposed to look like? What's my play supposed to look like? My quiet. How do I handle the shrapnel of a fallen world? All of that comes into, am I believing? That John 20, 31, it's believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the doorway, but it's also, and that by believing on a daily basis, we may have life in His name. It's the dance. It's learning to truly trust Him. And a lot of that has, has to do with me believing not just who He is, but what He says about who I am and His posture towards me. Let's go back to that most, most famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved you. 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 That He gave. He gave His one and only Son. But that's not the totality of the gospel. You got to complete it. Here's the rest of the gospel that whoever believes won't perish, but will experience eternal life now and forever. Do I believe Him? Do I believe that He loves me? Do I believe that He will give me the strength necessary to take that next step of obedience today, that next step of faith today, that next step of, of courage? Lauren Daigle has a song out called You Say. She talks about, do I really believe what He says is true about me? It's not just believing what He says is true about Him, it's believing what He says is true about me. That He really does love me, that He really will give me strength. Uh, 
Several years ago, a friend of mine uh, told me about his cousin who fought in Vietnam. He was in infantry. He was out in the jungle. A mortar went off next to him. Some shrapnel embedded in him. But the bigger issue was he was rendered totally unconscious. Knocked him out. He woke up absolutely paralyzed. He could not move and he could not speak. The only thing that he could do when he woke up was his eyelids. He could open and, and, he, and he was groggy and he's trying to figure out where am I? It was dark and, and all of a sudden he finally pieced together what was going on. He realized he was in a body bag. It was zipped shut and he could see in the pinhole lights, he could see the sunlight. He could hear the medics talking. They were loading casualties in body bags onto a truck to take them to the morgue. And he couldn't move and he couldn't speak. He was terrified. And they were getting closer and closer and he knew once they put me on that truck, I'll suffocate. There were piled bodies on top of me. In the last moment, just in a shot of adrenaline, he yelled, he just mustered everything he could and it came out, the words came out, I'm alive! Scared the medics to death. <laughs> but it's what the gospel calls us to do on a daily basis. I want to take some time for you to just be still. And then in a minute, I'm going to lead you in some prayer. And some of you are going to say, I have come alive. You're going to yell that out. Others of you, You've been in a follower of Jesus, but you've looked kind of dead. And it's time for you to renew your belief and say, I'm alive. Because your family, they've noticed. Your friends, they've noticed. Let's figure out this gospel of life together. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you're enough. I thank you that... The gospel is enough, that the gospel is credible, it's relevant, and the gospel can summon us to a lifestyle of life, capital L type life. Would you give us the courage right now to be still and to be honest with you? To be honest about who you are, but also about who we are. To be honest about what you say about you, but to be honest about what you say regarding us. Because we've got doubts, not just about who you are, we've got doubts about who you are towards us. Uh, we don't think we're loved, we don't think we're strong enough. Would you affirm deep within us that you are saying you will make us strong enough and that you do love us enough? Holy Spirit, please work in this place and the lives of people that are watching right now. In the name of the one who is way and truth and also life, I pray. Amen.